Good evening. Welcome in. It's Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. Have you for the next hour. We are talking all things Brewers baseball on the eve of the National League Championship Series getting underway at Miller Park. Be honest. Six months ago, did you ever think that those words could be coming out of anybody's mouth, including mine, that the NLCS would be opening up at Miller Park. Maybe you believed in the Brewers as being a team getting to the NLCS, but my goodness, they've got home field throughout uh, the National League uh, portion of the playoffs, and now we'll see if they can take advantage of it as their goal is to win at least four of the next seven games and advance to the World Series. Want to talk Brewers baseball? You can. You can give us a call. You can text in on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. That is 414-799-1620. You can also tweet into the program if you would like, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is the Twitter handle if you want to get in on Twitter. Here's what we've got coming up on the program today. Lane Grindle is going to join us in about five minutes. It is time for our weekly conversation with Brewers Radio Broadcast. Lane Grindle. We will go through the decisions that were announced today in terms of the starting pitching for the Brewers over the first three games of the series where they are going to open with Gio Gonzalez. They are going to go with Wade Miley in game number two, and then they are going to go with uh, Yolise Chassin in game number three. And while at first glance, that might not make a whole lot of sense, especially holding Chassin till game number three, It has everything to do with the fact that the Dodgers are a different team against left-handers than they are against right-handers. And the Brewers continue to play the matchups. We saw them play the matchups in the National League Divisional Series, where they opened the whole thing with a bullpen game, and that worked. And now they're playing the matchups in the NLCS, and they're doing it by starting a couple left-handers in games one and two. We'll figure out tomorrow. I guess we won't figure out. We'll find out tomorrow if it's going to, what the uh, 25-man roster is going to look like, how different it might be from uh, the NL, uh, DS to the NLCS. I do think there are going to be some changes. I would, I would bet Ashton's weekly salary that... Xavier Cedeno is going to be on the roster for the National League Championship Series to face off against some of those tough left-handers uh, for the Dodgers. I think they'll consider a Dan Jennings. I would not be shocked, and we'll get into all this later on, I would not be shocked to say see them maybe drop a right-handed reliever, drop a position player, and add a couple left-handed relievers. So... Uh, there are certainly some things that uh, that could play out, and we'll get into that coming up uh, later on in the show as well. Again, 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Brewers and Dodgers in the NLCS. How excited are you? Man, it's going to be great. And I'm, I, get, I get jazzed up about all the things. I was listening uh, earlier today. Uh, they had Rick Schlesinger on the afternoon show. And they were talking about uh, the the national anthem and the first pitches and all that sort of stuff. And we don't find out. We don't know who it's going to be. And you know, they they pulled a fast one. I guess that's uh, they they surprise folks. That's a better way to say it. They surprise folks when they brought out uh, Niger Morgan last week. And who's the 
who's the next surprise that's going to be brought out for a uh, for the the first pitches like that's it's just going to be it's fun it, it, that's part of the playoffs that's part of just everything that goes into it where you don't know who's going to come out you don't know who's going to be there to get the crowd jazzed up and it's going to be a whole lot of fun of course if you can't make it to uh, the game you'll be able to listen to it uh, right here on WTMJ game three we're going to have one of our hometown calls we'll talk about that coming up in just a little while as well but up next we'll be joined by Lane Grindle. Brewers radio broadcaster extraordinaire. He joins us in just a moment as Brewers Weekly continues after this here on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Ashton uh, caught me off guard with that music bump right there. Let's bring in right now Brewers radio broadcaster. I think I said radio broadcaster extraordinaire a moment ago, so we'll keep with that. It is Lane Grendel. Hey, Lane, how are you doing? Well, I appreciate the title. <laughs> Good to be with you. Glad to uh, glad to have you there. Uh, what's uh, just from your perspective, being a guy who's been broadcasting these games all season long and, and starting in spring training and uh, being so close with the team from 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 day literally day one to where we are at right now, uh, you're more than a bystander. What's it like for you watching this team go through uh, this period of where they're at right now? I've been asked that question quite a few times this week, and, and my answer is, is pretty consistent. It's, it's really satisfying and fulfilling to watch these guys celebrate their accomplishments. And I know that sounds incredibly simplistic, but it's the truth. I mean, um, for those of us that have been around them from the start, uh, and in, in the case of a couple of these guys, or a handful of these guys, a lot longer than that, um, it's just it's really fun when you're in that clubhouse during those celebrations to just sit back and and watch the the sheer joy the uh, satisfaction the euphoria at times over what are really amazing accomplishments it's it's really hard to do what the brewers have already done this year and it's really hard to do what they're on the verge of potentially doing and so it's fun to see them have those moments where they get to appreciate it and I think that's been the, the most fun part for me has been watching the smiles. And, and I know that's a little bit corny, but it's, it's, it's just the truth. That's, that's the part that I enjoy the most. It's always been that way for me covering teams is seeing the teams accomplish things and getting a chance to watch them enjoy that part of it. I think that's the best part. I love breaking down the 11-game winning streak. And this could be a long question. I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm going Good. to. No, do it. Because it starts where they took two of three from Pittsburgh, and that's a team that they'd really struggle against all season. Mm-hmm. Then they go into St. Louis. And, Lane, if they have a bad series in St. Louis, that there was a chance. They're, they're, at that point, they were kind of playing for their playoff lives. And right. they sweep St. Louis, and they secure a spot in the postseason. And then they, they take on Detroit, and they're able to lock in at least the top wild card spot. And then they go to Chicago, and obviously they win the NL Central, and then it's been all postseason since then. But this isn't just an 11-game winning streak. That's you know, Not that there's such thing as a normal 11-game winning streak, but if you look at the different tiers and the different things that they've accomplished on every single step of the streak, I think it makes it that much more impressive. Well, I, I agree with, exa- with with what you're saying, and I, it, here's the thing, and, and I think what you're trying to say is that this isn't some 11-game winning streak in May, which is impressive unto itself, but there isn't the same type of stakes. The, the things 
aren't on the line in May that were on the line over the course of this stretch for the Brewers. This wasn't just a, hey, they got hot. Um, it's easy to say, hey, look, they got hot at the right time. There's a reason why they got hot at the right time. Because when the pressure got to its peak, this team, because of the cohesion, because of the unity, because of the togetherness and the connectedness and all those buzzwords we've used about them for the last two years, it, it held to be true. And so when the going got tough for all of those other teams, for the Cardinals, who were in the playoff hunt at that point, for the Cubs, who were trying to hold on to the Central, the team that, that had the best chemistry and the best makeup was the team that hit the accelerator and started going faster. And I don't think that's by accident. I don't think that's just one of those things where, hey, the Brewers got hot at the right time. I think because of who they are is why they got hot at the right time. And I think that's a good omen moving forward, too. Uh, as the stakes get bigger, it seems like this team plays better. Brewers radio broadcaster Lane Grendel is continuing to join us. This there, there's a, there's this feeling, I think, from many Brewers fans that the nation has not paid attention to this team. And we're, it's a small media market. I, I get that. I'm never too worried about that. I don't care if there's a million people watching or if there's 40,000 people watching. A win counts the same to me. But now that it's the NLCS, the national media, they're here. They're in Milwaukee. Yeah. It all changes once you get to the NLCS. Is that, how do you view that? Is it, is it good that all of a sudden the nation is going to kind of learn a little bit more about who this Brewers team is? I think it is. Um, I, I think this team has enjoyed the fact that they weren't in the spotlight, that they could kind of go off over here and just do their thing, right? Show up, put their work in, win games, go to bed, wake up the next day and do the same thing. I, I, I think they enjoyed that part of it. Go ahead, keep paying attention to everybody else. We'll just be over here worrying about us. I've heard guys talk about that fact over the course of the year. But now that it's here, I mean, this is what you were fighting for. You were fighting to get onto this stage. You were fighting to get yourself into this position. And here's the thing about the Brewers. They have guys that have gone through this before. You know, there's a lot of narrative about, well, they haven't been in the playoffs since 2011. But they have just not all together. <laughs> Lorenzo Cain and Mike Moustakis were kind of this team with the Kansas City Royals that nobody was paying attention to, and then they ran through the playoffs in 14 on the way to the World Series, losing seven of the Giants, come back on a mission in 15, and they finished the job. Um, they've been in a very similar situation to this in the past. Not just postseason experience, but this same kind of situation with kind of a similar team in a lot of ways that they were a part of in Kansas City. Um, guys like um, Curtis Granderson, I mean, he, he's played in New York, in the World Series for, for New York teams. I mean, he knows what he's doing. And I think probably when everything is over and this season is said and done and we're looking back on the things that helped this team get to where they are, one guy that's going to deserve some credit, as crazy as it sounds, because he came in in September and he was used off the bench primarily. But I think that the trade for Curtis Granderson is going to be one of those things where you go, hey, that was a big deal. That ended up being a really nice addition. He's getting on base. He did a lot of good things on the field. But you talk to people around the team, and they'll tell you he's had a huge impact in the clubhouse as a guy that is that is so respected. And when he talks, people listen. And it's not just standing up in front of the whole team and addressing them, but in individual conversations, helping guys along. There's so much of that on this team 
um, Matt Albers, who has had a tough year on the mound, but you talk to young pitchers like Corbin Burns, and they'll tell you, look, Matt Albers has had an impact on me, and he has helped me get through different things. And I think that's what this team has so well. So um, there is experience. There are guys that have been on this stage before. I don't think that the lights are going to make them blink in the least. And I think those veteran guys that I mentioned are going to help the Corbin Burns and the Josh Haters of the world move past that and still perform. Last thing for you, something I appreciate about just kind of the philosophy of this team is they have their beliefs and they're sticking with them. We saw uh, against the Rockies, bullpen game in game number one, they were avoiding starting lefties, so they put Chassin in the second game. And, and a lot of people said, what are they doing? And it works out. Now it's the exact opposite scenario when uh, they're taking on a Dodgers team that's really good against right-handers, so they're going to go Geo and, and Miley in, in games one and two. How much do, do you appreciate the fact that this team thinks outside the box and they got to this point a certain way, oh, it's the NLCS, they're not going to fall into a more traditional role, whether you know they leave themselves open to criticism from some of the traditional baseball folks, but they're going to keep doing it the way they've been doing it to get to the point that they've been at. Well, I think the thing that we've learned in the last five to ten years with playoff baseball specifically is the, the rigidness of a 162-game schedule where you say, okay, Look, it's a large sample size. We don't overreact to one performance here or there or one specific matchup here or there because over 162, it kind of works itself out, right? And so you can apply Sabre metrics maybe a little bit easier to 162 than you can in a smaller sample size like the playoffs. And so the gameplay is so different when you get to the postseason. You're going to the bullpen in the third inning. You're, I mean, you're doing all sorts of things you wouldn't normally do and I've long felt like Craig Council is kind of a step ahead uh, in, in, in a lot of respects in terms of being very fluid and saying, okay, we're not going to be confined to a box here. We're going to try to find the most creative and the most efficient and most effective ways to get the outs we need to get so we can win this game. And I like that about him. Uh, and I also think that's also a byproduct of not having – that true ace. If you have Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw, there's not a question. You're going to hand the ball to that guy. The Brewers don't have that. They have strength in numbers. They have strength in depth. They have strength with a great bullpen. And so it's how can we get to the sixth or seventh inning with a lead and what gives us the best chance to do that. And it is. It's kind of a flip from the Rockies where they had had so much success against lefties with their lineup. The Dodgers have not had as much success against lefties. And they've hit righties pretty well, one of the best hitting teams in baseball against right-handed pitchers. I think I looked at Gio Gonzalez's numbers against this current makeup of Dodgers, and I think collectively they have like a 533 OPS against Gio Gonzalez. So I think it makes sense. I think getting those lefties at Miller Park makes sense because it gets left-handed hitters like Max Muncy and Jock Peterson potentially out of the lineup with that porch and right that the ball kind of flies out to. And uh, then you go with the righty out at Dodger Stadium and Yoli Shasin. So it makes sense to me on the surface. We'll see how Craig Council plays it, too. I mean, again, I think we know that just because Gio Gonzalez is getting the ball tomorrow night to start the game, that does not mean he's going to be on the mound in the sixth inning by any stretch of the imagination. Lane, great stuff as always. Appreciate the time. Enjoy your evening, and we'll see you at the ballpark tomorrow.
Matt, looking forward to it. Thanks so much, buddy. All right, very good. There's uh, Lane Grindle joining us here on Brewers Weekly. All right, we'll open up the phones. You want to talk Brewers baseball? What do you think about the decisions to go with uh, Gio Gonzalez in Game 1, Wade Miley in Game 2, Yolish Chassin in Game 3, uh, 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. It is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, meaning you can indeed call in or text in. We'll get into that next on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauly. You want to talk Brewers baseball? You can. All you got to do is call or text into the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. You can also tweet in at Matt Pauly on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. It was announced earlier today by Brewers manager Craig Council. Your game one starter tomorrow will be Gio Gonzalez. Game two starter on Saturday will be Wade Miley, and game three starter on Monday will be Yolis Chassin. A lot of people surprised that Chassin is being held all the way until game number three. I have a few takeaways on this. My first thing is Clayton Kershaw is going tomorrow for the Dodgers. In case you're just joining the party, Clayton Kershaw is really good. Like he's really good. He's a he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. He's really really good. I know his playoff numbers are not as good as his regular season numbers, but I don't care. When he wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror, he's going to see a guy named Clayton Kershaw. He's Clayton Kershaw. Like that that's really we can we could stop analyzing him at his name. We know who the guy is and what he can do. I'm not saying he's unbeatable. I'm saying it's going to be tough to beat him. It's the playoffs. You're going to face off against a bunch of guys that it's tough to beat. Clayton Kershaw, to me, is the scariest pitcher that the Dodgers have. No disrespect to Hyunjin Ryu. No disrespect to Walker Buehler. No disrespect to Rich Hill. Clayton Kershaw's the guy. So, let's say you would have gone with your presumed number one starter tomorrow in Yolis Chassin, and you lose that game. Then you've wasted... And I, I say that in air quotes. You've wasted Chassin against Kershaw. So I think by not starting Chassin tomorrow, you save him for a game that you're not facing off against Clayton Kershaw. Uh, to me, that matters. So I, I like the fact that you're kind of tapering your starters just a bit. The second thing is the righty-lefty. And this is why you know what I just said I don't think really plays into the Brewers' decision. I think that's me being a radio guy and talking about stuff. I, I think they're more worried about the matchups. And you look at the Dodgers and what they do against righties and what they do against lefties, they hit 15 points worse against lefties than they do righties. So the raw numbers certainly say they, they don't do as well against left-handers. But let's break that down just a little bit more if there is a right-hander on the mound in more often than not the the base Dodgers lineup against right-handers includes Jack Peterson, Max Muncy, Yasiel Puig. Those guys are all dangerous hitters. The base lineup against left-handers includes Matt Kemp, Chris Taylor, David Freeze. Now, I know Chris Taylor has been a Brewer killer. I know David Freeze turns into a different guy in the month of October. Like, I get all that, but who would you, Ashton, who would you rather face off? You can have a lineup with Jack Peterson, Max Muncy, and Yasiel Puig, or you can have a lineup with Matt Kemp, Chris Taylor, and David Freeze. Who are you going with? 
Pass. I don't want to face either of those lineups. I guess I guess the one with Puig for inconsistency and Jack Peterson, but again, that's power. You're going against what I'm saying. I mean, whatever you say, that's what I want to say. <laughs> I think the lineup is less dangerous. And maybe, look, Ashton just proved a point that this is not a slam dunk argument. But I think that a lineup with Peterson, Muncie, and Puig is more dangerous than a lineup with Kemp, Taylor, and Freeze. And the numbers would back me up on that. So that's part of it, too. You keep some of those guys off of the field. And the other thing they're able to do is they start a left-hander, they go to the bullpen early, they go to a right-hander, they get the Dodgers to use all their guys off the bench, and then you go back to a lefty out of the bullpen late. It sets up. Like, if this is a three-act play, act one, your starters face off, as your left-handed starters go, Act two, you bring in right-handed relievers. The Dodgers adjust to that. Act three, you bring in a left-handed reliever, or you just go to your high-leverage guys. And it really doesn't matter if they're facing righties or lefties. Uh, Gary in Lisbon says, uh, I love the matchup in tomorrow's game. Put in a season all-star vet against Kershaw. Council's been pushing all the right buttons all year. Why not? Bullpen is fresh. Love his approach on this one. Drawing first blood is important. It's always important. I would say winning game one is less important in a seven-game series than in a five-game series, just because you have more time to recover. But I would say it's a little bit less important at that point. We'll get to some phone calls in just a moment. 414-799-1620. It's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly rolling on here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. You want to join the program, you can do so. 414-799-1620. It's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Tax Line. Talking about the decision to go with Gio Gonzalez in Game 1, Wade Miley Game 2, Yolise Chassin in Game 3, David and Kenosha text in, I think the current announced rotation sets up for a possible bullpen day for Game number 4, and then a swing back around the rotation. If the series goes 6 or 7 games, Chassin may be bumping to Game 6 if need be. I think we'll learn more about Game 4 based off the roster tomorrow. If Zach Davies is on the 25-man roster then he's the Game 4 starter. If Zach Davies is not on the 25-man roster, then I think it's going to be a bullpen game in Game number 4. Let's get to the phones. Wally and Clinton. Hey, Wally, you're on WTMJ. Mr. Pauly, this is Wally. I'll tell you, we have been playing this type of ball all year, and it's the type of ball that I think this team flourishes with, number one. Number two, we got to the playoffs in the first game we were going to do was a bullpen by committee game. And all the national pungents and everybody said, oh, my God, how can we do that? And he's got this team sold on it, okay? To go with what he's going with these first three games, he's looked at all, I don't want to say analytics, I just think it's a baseball eye. And I believe it's everything you want to go with. Well, Wally, I'll say one thing. It is analytics. They've got they've got an entire office of uh of an, or entire office of analysts that are providing tons of information. So I think Craig Council has a very good gut feel when it comes down to gut feel decisions. But many of these decisions are based off the numbers. You know, and Matt, the um, the national pundits only gave us seventy seven wins this year, so we're playing with house money. 
I agree. And while I appreciate the phone call, I always thought this was going to be a playoff team. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I'll keep saying it. You can you can go back to whatever you want to go back to. And I've said this is a playoff team. I thought maybe at some point I was saying they're going to be competing for the playoffs. But I think the day that they acquired Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain, the goal became that this is a playoff team. They didn't make that move to make it into the playoffs in 2019. They made that move to be a playoff team in 2018. Don is in Madison. Hey, Don, thanks for calling. You're on WTMJ. Hey, uh... I, uh, I actually work in D.C., and I still have a house back in Madison. So I'm back here. Uh, I'm driving to Madison right now. Um, I've got two points. One is because I'm, I'm kind of familiar with the Nationals, I, I really like the fact that they're going with Geo tomorrow. Um, I think that was a really sharp trade. And if you look at his performance since he came to the Brewers, I mean, this is clearly one of those deals, and you see it in baseball all the time, where a guy might be struggling, but there's a trade. You give him a, a, a new venue, you, he, he gets his focus back, and it's, it's night and day. And I, that's what we've seen so far with Geo. So I, I think that, you know, going with the seasoned veteran, a guy that's been around the block, uh, not going to get rattled too easily, um, he's a great pick for game one, and I, I, I really like the fact that uh, Council is pulling that trigger. Uh, the second thing is I really like holding back Chasin until game three, and, and my thought is, you know, the worst-case scenario is probably that they split the games in Milwaukee. And so if, if they go back to, to L.A. Uh, tied 1-1, you want to get the momentum back, and you need to take one of those games in L.A. to get back to Milwaukee. So why not, you know, go with him in game three and, and make your best effort to, to grab the momentum back and, and, uh, and, and go toe-to-toe with them in, in their home park. So uh, curious what you think. Yeah, Don, I appreciate the phone call, and I, I especially like your second point. Uh, I, Gio Gonzalez clearly change of scenery was was very good for him. He looked different once he got to uh, Milwaukee, and that was something that uh, worked out pretty well. I mean, the numbers don't lie on on Gonzalez. He had a two point one three ERA in five games with the Brewers. His ERA was well north of four with the Nationals. So he he cut his ERA in half going from Washington to Milwaukee. I don't have to sit here and expound on that to to break that down. That's pretty simple. I do think the thing about you know setting yourself up for uh, you know worst case scenario is they're down 0-2 going to Los Angeles by by dictionary definition that's the worst case scenario but I do think you need to go into those first two games at Miller Park and feel pretty confident that the Brewers at the very least can win one of those first two games and if they do that all of a sudden you go back into those three games in Los Angeles and all you have to do is win one of those to take home field advantage back where, you know, as Don just mentioned, getting back to Milwaukee, I would take it one step further. You have home field advantage back if you can take care of business on your home field. So I do, I, I do like the idea of Yulise Chassin. Had David and Kenosha text in and, and say that, uh, like, likes to see uh, Chassin pitch there because uh, Chassin pitched on the West Coast. He pitched with the Padres, pitched with the Rockies, knows how to pitch on the West Coast. I don't, 
I don't think that plays into this at all. If if there if anything, it's the familiarity of the Dodgers can help Chassin. I don't think which venue you're playing at is going to help. But uh, either way, I like the way how this all works out. I'm more about the matchups. At the end of the day, the Dodgers are not as good of a team against left-handers as they are against right-handers. Now, you can say the exact same thing about the Brewers. And the Dodgers are going with lefties to start the first two games uh, with Kershaw and he and Jin Ryu. And you look at what the Brewers have done this year in the regular season uh, against uh, left-handed starters, they were 24-19. and 19. Yeah, above 500, that sounds good. But against right-handed starters, they were 72-48. and 48. So that's the challenge for the Brewers because they have, they've not been anywhere near as good against left-handed starters as they have been against right-handed starters. So that's another thing where you're, where you're playing in these first two games, doing what you need to do to find a way to win at least one of those two games, if not both, and you try to stack the deck where, yeah, the Dodgers are going with left-handed starters in both those games. What can you as the Brewers do to weaken their position as much as possible? You weaken their position by uh, putting a left-handed starter on the mound yourself, and then you let the whole thing play out. 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. It's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Brewers Weekly. We'll start looking at the roster. What kind of changes could be made on that 25-man roster? We'll find out tomorrow morning. We'll speculate in about two minutes on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Paul. You want to join the program, you can do so. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. Brewers, Dodgers, Game 1 of the NLCS from Miller Park. Man, I love saying those words tomorrow night right here on WTMJ. Let's go to Bill in Milwaukee. Hey, Bill, thanks for calling. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Matt. Matt, I just have a question. Justin Turner, the third baseman, do you think he's going to do anything for the Dodgers in this series? And I think there's a blonde-haired guy, um, number 19 for them, and I don't know his name, but how do you think those two guys are going to do? Do you think they're a threat at all in the series? And uh, go Brewers. All right, yeah, I appreciate the phone call. Justin Turner does scare me, especially because it's the Brewers that he's facing. Now, this year, again, he's kind of a righty-lefty split guy uh, because of what he does, against, uh, especially against left-handers. But he's good against both. He's above 300 average-wise against both. Um, and he actually has a little bit more power uh, against right-handers. But 312 average, 14 home runs, 52 RBIs, his OPS 9. 24 this season. I know sometimes people don't really know what's a good OPS, what's a bad OPS. A 924 OPS is a good OPS. You look at what he's done against the Brewers. He's had a ton of success against the Brewers. Uh, this year in three games, he hit 400 against the Brewers with a home run and three RBIs. Last year didn't do too terribly much, but if you remember, I know I'm going back a couple years. If you remember what he did against the Brewers two years ago, he was a one man brewer wrecking crew in six games against the brewers two years ago he hit 455 he had three home runs he had eight rbis that year i'm not trying to go too far back in history but that year the brewers went on a west coast road trip that just kind of destroyed their season they were they were hanging tight there for a while and then it didn't go well and he like single-handedly won some of those games so justin turner's a scary guy he absolutely is a scary guy and someone who could have an impact in this series i'm gonna be really interested to see what the roster looks like tomorrow 
There's some people out there that say, hey, you just swept through the Rockies. Why would you change anything on the roster? Well, you're going to change things on the roster because the Brewers are a team that do things based off matchups. Look at the starting pitching situation. Against the Rockies, they did everything they possibly could to avoid left-handers starting, and now against the Dodgers, they're starting two lefties in the first two games. Clearly, the Brewers rely on numbers and advanced numbers, and they know what they're doing, and it's working out. So the fact that they are going against a team that they are going to try to get left-handers on the mound as much as possible, I think there are going to be some changes. Uh, Craig Council was very clear multiple times when talking about Freddie Peralta, that Peralta was largely on the NLDS roster because of his success against Colorado. Wouldn't shock me to see him not on the roster. I think Xavier Cedeno absolutely will be on the roster. I think there's a chance. Maybe I probably wouldn't, if I was putting together a mock roster, I probably wouldn't include him on it, but it won't shock me if he is. I think there's a chance that Dan Jennings gets on. So something that we have to wait and see on is, is there going to be a fourth starting pitcher? Is Zach Davies going to be on this roster? If Zach Davies is not on the roster, that means in all likelihood game four is going to be a bullpen game. If Zach Davies is on the roster, then Davies probably your game four starter. If Davies isn't on the roster, you would clearly use that roster spot for um, for uh, another relief pitcher. From a position player standpoint, does Keon Broxton stay on this roster, or is that in kind of a uh, an extra benefit that maybe you could use somewhere else? You know, Keon Broxton's role was to be a guy who could come in and play really good defense and could be a pinch runner if needed. Now he hit a home run, like good on Keon Broxton for hitting a home run, but he that wasn't why he was put on the roster. It was really cool that he hit a home run. I think anybody who covers this team and deals with Keon Broxton knows how good of a dude he is, and you couldn't do anything but feel happy for him when he hit the home run, but that wasn't his role on the team. He was on the NLDS roster to be somebody who could come in as a defensive replacement and come in as a pinch runner if needed. What's more valuable, a guy who can play good outfield defense and be a pinch runner or maybe another bullpen arm? I think that's going to be the question that gets asked. I'm not going to be shocked either way. I think I'm just trying to present to you the different thought processes that I think David Stearns, Matt Arnold, Craig Council are going through as they put together this roster. I think Jonathan Scope's going to be on the roster, but he's another guy that do you consider his spot on the roster? Is there somebody else that it it might be more valuable? There's some people out there I've seen on social media calling for Eric Thames over Curtis Granderson. I don't see that one. People are saying it's because Thames has more pop out of his bat. And I like Eric Thames. He's just, he as a baseball player, I don't think he's built to be a guy who gets an at-bat here and an at-bat there. Eric Thames is at his best when he's getting multiple at-bats a game, he's seen lots of pitches, and he's able to play every day. It's not fair to him to put him in this situation where he's not playing every day. You went and got Curtis Granderson for a reason. So I would, I would, I would be surprised. I would be borderline shocked to see a situation where Eric Thames is on the roster and say someone like Curtis Granderson is not on the roster. But those are kind of the names that I think are probably floating out there. For the most part, you know, the 20, 21, 22 guys who are on that that NLDS roster, they're safe. 
but there's two, three guys that are on the roster and two, three guys that were not on the roster that could potentially trade out spots. 414-799-1620, that's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will uh, preview. We'll do a final segment and really preview the uh, NLCS and what the pitching matchups look like. We'll do that next. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Starting to wrap up this edition of Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. Brewers, Dodgers, Game 1 of the National League Championship Series coming up tomorrow. Let's grab one more quick phone call before we uh, call it a night. Danny is on the east side. Danny, I just got about 30 seconds for you here on WTMJ. Okay, I just I, I saw an article about Doug Out Melvin in the, on the paper today. I've been thinking about calling a lot um, for a couple of weeks now, just seeing that Doug Melvin's contributions have been really kind of overlooked in a ways, you know, towards the success of this team. Yeah, because there was a lot of talent on this team for a day to work with, too, to make a lot of trades, and you got some guys in, and you hire a console, too. Yeah, I think right at the, appreciate the phone call. I think right at the end of Doug Melvin's tenure when they made the decision to go into the rebuild, you know, you look at the trade where they were able to, uh, the Domingo Santana and Josh Hader, those guys, uh, and hiring Craig Council, absolutely. Doug Melvin is the guy who started the process, and he still has a voice in the organization now that I think is an important voice. Brewers, Dodgers, game one tomorrow. Gio Gonzalez goes for the crew. Clayton Kershaw goes for the Dodgers, and it's going to start a little bit after. Uh, 7 o'clock, our game day coverage is going to start at 6.30. Also, put this on the back of your mind, Game 3, Turner Hall. We're going to have uh, a hometown call watch party, so uh, that's going to be uh, when they're in Los Angeles. You can find out all the details at WTMJ.com. I'll talk to you tomorrow after the game with Brewers Extra Innings here on WTMJ.